It's Tuesday, February 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross, and from Motley Fool Supernova and Rule Breakers, David Kretzman. Happy Tuesday, gentlemen. How you doing, Chris? Good to be here. I got coffee, so I'm good. As, long, as long as I got coffee, nice. I'm good. Uh, earnings Palooza rolls on. We're going to talk CVS Health. We're going to talk GoPro. And yes, for alert listeners, I am aware that GoPro reported last week, but we'll get into that in a second. But let's start with Coca-Cola. Fourth quarter profit and revenue higher than expected, and Ron, something we have not seen in a little while. Sales in North America up two percent, just a smidge. But hey, first time in four quarters, nice to see. We'll take it. And I love it when you can uh, report net income down fifty five percent, but yet still beat expectations. Uh, what a country we live in. Other yeah. companies um, are so jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, but but that what you said is important. Um, we have seen a little bit of a turn in North America. Obviously, the um, Coke has been struggling. Um, soda isn't what it used to be, but we do see diversification into Keurig and Monster Beverage and sports drinks and tea and, and water. Um, which is very important. Um, interestingly, the company has you know been very forthright and said this year is a year of transition. The transition is the buzzword here for the Coca-Cola earnings report. Um, they've got cost cutting going on. They've got increased marketing spend to try to uh, spur those sales that have been weak for so long. And there's nothing they can do about it, but currency um, exchange is going to just continue to beat up on them, and that's largely what happened this last quarter. Foreign currency, some Venezuela um, things, charges related to foreign currency, um, some other one-time charges just really took a bite out of the stock. If you take all those things out, they actually earned forty-four cents, which beat by f- uh, expectations, which were forty-two cents. Uh, but still, it's hard to take all those things out because even though it's not their fault, foreign currency does exist and it does affect cash flow and it and it does affect the stock price. So, twenty fifteen year of transition. They are confident about twenty sixteen. You know, that's easy to be when you're only in February of twenty fifteen. <laughs> I've played that game too, guys. Um, but we'll see how the year progresses. Yeah, I. I don't know, David. It seems to me that any time, I shouldn't say any time, it seems to me that every time an executive says, this is a transition year, it's never, we're transitioning from making a little money to gobs of money. It's never a good thing. This is a transition year is always code for, this year ain't going to be that great. Yeah, it's not usually a good sign. You don't say you're transitioning if if it's a good thing, usually. Uh, but I mean, Coca-Cola, there's a lot of value there. Obviously, you can't look at this as a growth company, but I like the investments that they made in Keurig and Monster. They're branching out. They're making some, you know, multi-billion-dollar bets on, uh, like Ron said, the sports energy uh, market, energy drinks with Monster, uh, that new home beverage segment with Keurig. So the company is branching out, but uh, at this point, it takes a good amount uh, to move the needle. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting situation. It remains the the blue chippiest of stocks, really. However, I would say on the weak side of where maybe the the last decade, they still have their nice two point nine percent dividend. Yeah, Buffett remains a confident shareholder. CEO has come under fire. The whole company actually for executive compensation issues. Um, Buffett was embroiled in that a, a bit. Um, there is an activist investor, David Winters, um, hedge fund guy who who's been mostly critical of the compensation. Um, but it's still, I mean, they, they do produce gobs of cash flow, and they do pay a, a decent dividend. Well, and they they have something, uh, I, I don't want to say they have this in spades, but they, they do have a decent amount of pricing power. I mean, when you look at 
soda consumption in North America, it continues to decline, but the bump up in sales is due to the fact that they are able to charge a little bit more than competitors. A critical point, and thank you for making it. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, that is, that is really important here. Um, even though soda isn't what it used to be, and in fact, it probably has a negative connotation in, in many places nowadays, they were able to raise prices. So one thing Buffett says is perhaps the most important thing when looking at a company, their ability to have pricing power. Coca-Cola, even to this day, still um, retains that power. Let's move over to GoPro. And as I mentioned at the top, they reported after the market closed last Thursday. And one of the great things about earnings season is we have all these different stories to choose from. The downside is that we end up missing some here and there. And in this case, David, GoPro reported at a time where we ended up not doing it on the radio show last week. But I know this is a stock, this is a company you follow closely. I wanted to get your thoughts on it because the fourth quarter results. On the surface, looked pretty strong. Their guidance going into Q1 seemed to be the reason that the stock sold off somewhere to the tune of of fifteen percent. First, let's talk about the quarter. What did you think of their fourth quarter? The fourth quarter blew away the company's expectations, blew away analysts' expectations. So, if you go back to October before GoPro reported third quarter results, analysts were expecting GoPro to report. Holiday sales of $505 million. GoPro just uh, in, in the quarter, GoPro ended up doing $634 million. So they, That's they blew a strong it. beat. Yeah, pretty strong beat. But by the time uh, GoPro did report the results, analysts had raised their estimates to $580 million. But yeah, by all, all measures, GoPro just smashed results uh, in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, they sold. So, how bad was the guidance on Q1? The guidance was actually. The sales guidance was above what analysts were expecting, and uh, earnings per share guidance was within what analysts were expecting. So the guidance was fine. I mean, it was above expectations, if anything. Uh, but I think it's a case where you have a stock where there's a lot of short-term speculation with it. There's very high expectations. It's definitely not cheap on, on any level. So the expectations are high, but the underlying performance of the business is just uh, spectacular. Margins are rising. The company's uh, cameras were among the best-selling products this holiday season. The company is breaking into that mainstream market. And so far, I would say that Wall Street has just chronically underestimated GoPro. Uh, the company now has uh, three quarters under its belt as a public company. It's beaten analysts, it's uh, exceeded analyst expectations in each of those quarters. So, up to this point, people, I think, have really underestimated uh, GoPro. Also, not helping, again, maybe this is just short term thinking, but it doesn't help that Nina Richardson, who's the chief operating officer for the last couple of years, resigned. That was part of the announcement as well. And that's just, I think that's just one of those things on the surface. CEO, chief operating officer, chief financial officer, any one of those three, all things being equal, it's, I think, investors and certainly analysts on Wall Street tend to take that as a negative. Yeah, there's definitely uh, that, that adds to the speculation, you know, in the short term, and it makes Wall Street even more jittery. There's also uh, the lockup expiration uh, coming up. Uh, February seventeenth. So, there are a lot of jitters around the stock, and it does have the high valuation. But uh, you know, it, it's a recommendation and, and rule breakers. And what we're looking at is obviously where will this company be in three to five years? And I think up to this point, people have been underestimating GoPro. Something that I really like a recent innovation with a the company. They partnered with a company called Vizlink. 
So GoPro cameras can now be utilized in live broadcasts, and I think that that's really huge. So ESPN uh, is now they used uh, GoPro cameras uh, in the Winter X Games. Uh, GoPro has a partnership with the NHL, so you know they're they're on the ice, uh, and it gives people a really unique uh, view of of the sports, the athletes. I think that could be a really valuable component for GoPro in the next you know few years. I could see that. Uh Obviously not in all sports, but I could see that in, I don't want to say fringe, but you know the, the extreme sports, possibly even the Winter Olympics, that sort of thing. Um, over the holidays, I was uh, just channel flipping and came across, I don't know, I was maybe it was like ESPN H8, you know, watching <laughs> right. the Ocho or something like that. But it was uh, sort of uh, people on uh, dirt bikes, essentially doing... Cool. Going downhill and yeah. doing flips and all this sort of thing, and it was—I got to say—just as a viewer, it was much more compelling. Uh, it certainly added to the broadcast sure. that they have that perspective. Put them inside a monster truck, and I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, one last thing before we move off of GoPro: the the part of your thesis, I believe, is this is not just a company that makes gadgets, really innovative cameras. This is a, eventually a media company. What are you looking for, or what type of thing are you looking for in 2015 that's going to make you as an analyst say, yes, they are on their way to becoming a media company? Is it a, a partnership with a content creator? Is it more of these types of deals with ESPN? What are you looking for? I think live broadcast is a crown jewel of media, so that, that's something that just came up in the past month. But I think that's that's really the crown jewel for GoPro. Um, but also what you want to what I'm watching going forward is how engaged are people with GoPro's YouTube channel? Like up to this point, we know people love GoPro's content. There are more people watching, they're spending more time watching those videos on GoPro's channel. But yeah, getting basically you just want to see that content get in front of more eyeballs. So GoPro now is uh, on Xbox Live, they're on Roku, LG Smart TVs. So we want to see GoPro have more of those partnerships, but the thing I'm definitely watching uh, is is live broadcast. Can GoPro maybe have a partnership with the NFL, say something like that? I think that would be, I think that that's the biggest avenue for GoPro as far as a media company. But in the meantime, I mean, the camera sales are strong. They sold 5.2 million uh, cameras in 2014. The camera sales will be the bulk of the revenue for the next few years. But I, you know, with international expansion, I think the company still has a pretty large growth runway ahead just with the cameras. It was a year ago that CVS announced it was going to stop selling cigarettes and other tobacco products. And at the time, Ron, on that day, I believe it was February 5th, 2014, the stock sold off. Sure. Because tobacco sales, tobacco products meant a couple billion dollars in sales every year for CVS. And there were people legitimately asking the question, is this a principled move for which we will praise, but we are not backing from a business standpoint? And a year later, it appears to be a pretty smart business move. Yeah, I think both. So, so it worked out well. It was both a, um, a move based on, I think, conscience, and um, it turned out to have um, not hurt the business too bad. I mean, results. I mean, the front of the store is hurting right. um, from from you know the comparisons year, year over year. That is weak, but overall the company continues to do quite well, and they're moving into to other um, avenues to to spur growth. Even just the name CVS Health um, is is you know part of that strategy. So we see we see a strong pharmacy business, a strong Medicaid business that offsets the weak um, 
week front of the house sales due to the lack of cigarettes. Um, they're doing some acquisitions, specialty pharma, things like infusion um, is a growth avenue for them. The walk-in clinics, another area that we're seeing them um, increase more and more. Um, so they're really tr- they're, they're transforming the company, and and I applaud them for it, both from a business perspective and a conscience one. Fourth quarter profits for CVS Health up more than four percent, and as you said, that you know the they're doing a because let's be clear, the retail sales are lower. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know necessarily that anyone was expecting otherwise, but I think that what we're seeing with the stock up around forty five percent in the last year. Yep. Um, pretty amazing that they were able to make that transition. And Neticum actually was was better than the, the headline would probably show this quarter because there was a tax charge in there. So uh, nothing they can do about that. If you if you adjust for that, Neticum was probably up about eight percent. In addition, they affirmed their guidance for 2015. Always nice to see. I, <laughs> raising would be better. I'll take affirming. <laughs> um, certainly, lowering is nothing uh, we like to see a company do. Um, so they continue to do really well. The stock's approaching a hundred dollars a share. They pay a little dividend, maybe one and a half percent, a little less. Um, like to see that increase in the future as the company continues to generate nice cash flow. But again, I think they're doing well. Is this this doesn't strike me on the surface, David, as the type of business that necessarily benefits from lower gas prices? We've seen that in the restaurant industry. We've seen that from retailers over the last six months. CEOs coming out and saying, "Yes, absolutely, lower gas prices are helping our business," but. And and this isn't a knock on CVS Health, but just drugstores in general. I just look at them as one of those staples where it's it, it's not going to have a meaningful effect. Or am I wrong on that? No, I don't think you're going to get more prescriptions because gas prices are lower. Uh, and, and as Ron said, CVS is uh, really focusing on that health aspect of the business. People are going to look for healthcare uh, regardless of what gas prices are. That's sort of my feeling on it. Do you guys have any sort of brand loyalty to? I, I've said before that. I, to me, the closest drugstore is the drugstore I'm going to go to, whether it's a Walgreens or a CVS. Like if I if I need sure. anything that you would find in one of those drugstores, whatever's closest, they're going to get my business. If I need anything in the front of the store, I agree with you. The switching costs for the pharmacy are a little bit annoying. If I have a prescription there and my records are there and they're not over at Walgreens, I'm more inclined to continue to go there. My doctor has that pharmacy on record. That's where they call in the prescription. So there is a competitive advantage in terms of the switching cost. Something to watch too. There's a company called Theranos that has a partnership with Walgreens, and Theranos does uh, blood testing with just one or two drops of blood, and they're rolling out um, through you know all of Walgreens' locations in North America. So that'll be something to watch if CVS and Walgreens if they build out these partnerships with some of these other medical providers or some way to kind of bolster those more back end pharmacy medical services. That'll be something to watch. I'm a fan of innovation that involves taking less blood. Like, <laughs> I don't think many people here, here. are opposed to that. If, if you only need uh, like one or two drops of my blood to test my blood, that's so much better than so back much. in the day where it's like roll up your sleeve and I need to take a you know an five ounce, inch needle or something. An uh. ounce or two. Yeah. Uh, closing question. I, I don't know about you guys, but often is the time I go into CVS, whether it's for a prescription or for you know any of that front of the house stuff. Uh, I'm I'm going to make an impulse buy. 
and it's usually something edible. What, do you do you have like an impulse buy that you, you know, sort of a go to impulse buy if you're going into a drugstore? Yeah, it's always right right at the front where the, the candy is, and it's either one of those uh, cookies and cream Hershey bars, the <laughs> white chocolate ones. You're the one, or, or something like a sweet tart, like a runtz, or you know, something something like wow. sweet and sour. I, I, you know, I'm I'm a fan of a pretty broad range of sweet. <laughs> None items, of those, and neither of those. What would your be? Is Here's on my me. list. Um, if I'm going the more sweet route, it's going to be like gum or something like that, or Altoids or something like that that I can just stick in the car. Um, if I'm going the salty route, uh, it's it's Pringles. It's just a classic can of Pringles. They hit me up for a chapstick every now and then too, especially during the winter months. Oh yeah, over at the county. <laughs> got, got to take care of your lips during the winter. David, what about you? I don't go into CVS all that often. The last thing I got at CVS was uh, one bottle of ketchup, and that was it. Uh, <laughs> wow, you're a man on a mission. I mean, yeah, I, I was there, but you know, I, I, I think I'm on your line of thinking, Chris. You know, potato chips or gum. Sometimes I'll, that'll grab me in. <laughs> I think we end here. I think so. Ron Gross, David Kretzman, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 